everybody. My, my name is Luke Knapp, and um, so today I'm going to be reading um, a scripture, and this scripture is John 18, 33-40, and John 19, 1-6. So here we go. Um, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, Your own people and chief priests hand you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there, and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release you to, to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shot back. No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and, as, and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here's the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. Man, thanks, Luke. Sister Olivia. Nat family has been a huge blessing to our church family. Loved having some of the city kids and city youth uh, reading our text as we go on this Lent journey. If you're just joining us, we are kind of in the middle of our Lent journey, journeying to the cross together. One of the things that we do during this season is, uh, even as we're in this series, we're just sitting in the shadow of the cross. It's just walking through uh, what would it have been like in the last few moments of Jesus' life, just the heaviness and the weight. And honestly, allowing that weight uh, for us to sit in that weight, and, that, and that's okay, and that's a good thing, just to, to take on the reality of our sin and what our sin has done and how it separated us from God, the beauty of the gospel, the agonizing road that Jesus walked on uh, for you and I is why we're doing this. The setting for today's text, and, and Pastor Bodhi kind of set us up well for this last week, is that Jesus is standing before Pilate, and we've got to be honest about the situation, is that Pilate is trying to figure out why Jesus is standing here. Uh, the, the situation is somewhat confusing for him, and uh, Pilate is a, is a Roman governor over Judea, and so it, it, this kind of political situation was the, the Jews were allowed to practice religious freedom and do what they wanted to do under Roman rule as long as they paid their taxes and as long as they didn't have any uprising or cause no issue, they were able to do this, but they weren't able to, to, to execute someone. They had to go before Pilate and, and, and petition or appeal him, and Pilate is asking these questions to Jesus, why are you here? What kind of king are you? And, and the, he's asking these questions because Jesus wasn't overthrowing a leader. He wasn't leading a rebellion. Jesus didn't have an army. There, he wasn't claiming land or territory. So this is a little bit unprecedented for Pilate. Pilate's trying to, to figure out the situation. And I would even go as far as to say it's, it's confusing for him. Why does this man named Jesus stand before me? 
Jesus always uses questions to kind of gauge our hearts, and so he begins to even probe and, and, and ask questions of Pilate, and Pilate doesn't, doesn't like that, right? Am I a Jew, he replies. Why, why are you asking me this? And then I want to look at this passage this morning in the next few minutes we have together. In 18, verse 36, Luke just read it. He said, my kingdom is not of this world, Jesus says. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. And I want us to stop for a minute because one thing we're going to do in this series, as we just said in the shadow of the cross, is put ourselves into the story, which can be hard to do. Uh, sometimes when we put ourselves in the story, we're always the hero in the story, right? But not, that's not always the case. What would it have been like? Because the disciples, the crowd, the Jewish leaders, Pilate, they have no context for what would have just come out of Jesus' mouth. There's, there's no place for them to go back and, and say, oh, we've seen this happen before. This is really unprecedented. In a world dominated by power, by force, and by violence, which was the way of living, Jesus' kingdom would be a kingdom of love, of sacrifice, of giving, of peace. And there was no context for that with most people. This is why Pilate's so confused. This is why he's, he's looking at the Jewish leaders and he says, what has this man done to deserve death? Why are you fighting so hard to kill him? He's not fighting. He doesn't retaliate to the false claims you're making. He's not trying to defend himself. And I want you to think for a minute, if you were in this situation and someone has ever made false claims about you, would you have just let it go silent? Like how strong do you have to be in your identity to be falsely accused and not to defend yourself? To be the son of the living God, to be God in the flesh and not stand up and give your resume, to not tell everybody what you've done for them. In fact, in another gospel, it says that Jesus is just silent in this moment of questioning. Can you imagine being falsely accused and being silent? Now, Bodhi shared a good story last week of being falsely accused. You guys remember that? He, he gave his boss the peace sign, but his boss only saw one finger, not two. So he thought he was giving him another sign. It doesn't matter what, Bodhi. And I was thinking like, man, I've got a really good story too, and it's even better than yours. And so I'm going to share it. That's <laughs> so what I do when I'm sitting here listening to messages. I'm like, I'm going to use that next week. Yeah. Eighth grade, Youth for Christ Summer Basketball League, all right? I'm at the free throw line. My buddy Nate's down in the lane. We're all lined up. I'm shooting free throws. He looks at me and he says, hey, where's BJ? And I said, he's on the bench. I hear a whistle behind me and the referee comes behind me and he points at me and he says, number 13, technical foul. He said, son, this is a Christian league, no profanity. <laughs> what are you talking about? And he goes over to the scores table, and he's like, we got a technical foul, number 13, right here. He's going to finish his free throws. Other team will shoot free throws on the other end. And I'm like walking up to him, like, I'm not the guy that argues the call, right? But I'm going to argue this. What did you call me a technical foul? He said, well, all I heard you say is he's a son of a beep, you know? And I was like, sir, that's not what I said. I said he's on the bench. <laughs> and the guy kind of looks at me for a minute. And then he talks to his other referee friend, and he's like, okay, we're going to reverse the technical foul, number 13. He goes, I thought he said something else. And I remember walking up to the ref, and I was like, hey, that's fine, whatever you want to do, but I need you to tell my really conservative mom sitting right over there <laughs> that I didn't cuss. <laughs> I don't care what you do, but I care what she's about to do to me, right? That's, that's my story, being falsely accused. And I wasn't going to go down without a fight. The wrath of mama. I know mom's listening this morning, so love you, mom. Can you imagine being before a group of people falsely accusing you and doing nothing? 
Like for most of us, it's like that wouldn't even be an option. And I think Jesus in that moment, being so secure in who he was with the Father and his relationship with the Father, but also his purpose and plan, that this is the road that, that, that I've got to walk down. And you think about this because the Jewish leaders in this story are so persistent. They're so persistent. Time and time again, it seems like Pilate's about to let Jesus off the hook, right? He's like, I don't really find basis for killing him, but they're like, no, crucify this man. So persistent. Why is that? I believe it's this, because the kingdom that Jesus was bringing to reality on earth threatened the kingdom the Jewish leaders had worked so hard to build and so hard to protect. This kingdom they had built on moral codes and laws. This kingdom built on their own power. And how many know whenever you build a a kingdom on someone's power, go ahead and try to take that kingdom from them. People will do anything to protect their kingdoms, to protect their power. The Jewish people had built a kingdom built on politics and power and land and control and kingdoms and kings. And it's amazing, you look throughout history, what people will do to protect what they've built. See, but this is really, in this story, it comes down to, to lordship. Like, who is lord of your life? We, we, we kind of say these words, like, Jesus is savior and he's lord. Savior because you can't rescue yourself, but lord means there's not a part of your life that isn't under the rule and reign of King Jesus. This is when it gets tricky, right? This one is when you have to bring things that you don't want to lay at the feet of Jesus and say, I'm going to surrender this part because lordship means all or nothing, right? This is the difficult part of sanctification, our journey of faith where we're like, man, I would really rather not relinquish this or it goes against how I was raised or what I grew up thinking, but lordship means, God, I'm going to lay this down at your feet because Jesus was bringing a kingdom that the world had never seen. They didn't know there was no context for it. It was both unwanted and unexpected. And look at just the story of the disciples for a minute. Let's just go back for a minute. When, when, when Jesus predicts his death and Peter said, no, Jesus, you're never going to die. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind. You have your own kingdom in mind, is what he's saying. They didn't get it, did they? I mean, they're walking along the road and they're arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom of God. That's the sign you don't get it. Because Jesus would be like, you want to be first, you got to be last. You want to be the top, be the, be the bottom, right? This is the way the kingdom works. So them arguing about who is the greatest, they fundamentally misunderstand what it's about. Jesus is arrested in the garden. They pull out their swords to defend him. They missed it. They don't understand it. The crowds that are around Jesus, Pilate, they don't understand it. What do you mean your kingdom's not of this world? What do you mean you're bringing something better. We have, we have no context for that, but a sobering truth to, to humanity and just human beings in general is that most of us always believe that we're right, don't we? we? We believe that we're standing in the way of truth, that we're in the know and other people are yet to kind of catch up with what we know, and that's just kind of how we're wired. That's the pride in us that kind of comes out. And I think the life and the, 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 just the crucifixion story of Jesus shows us how easy it is to miss the kingdom of God when we're holding on to our own kingdoms. It would have been easy. See, in the story, you never think that you're in the crowd saying, crucify him, do you? Like, we don't want to go there because that's uncomfortable. But how easy it is to miss the kingdom of God when we're holding on to our own kingdoms. When we think, God, you've got to show up this way, or this is what I want, and I need it, I need it done this way. What you are in essence doing is you're holding on to your own kingdom, and you're trying to fit the kingdom of God into your kingdom. When you do that, Jesus is no longer Lord. 
right? You are. You are. And in essence, you're rejecting his way, saying, I think that my way is better, or I'm going to find life with my understanding of how the world operates, or my ideology is, or my worldview. I made a list this week of why so many people miss the kingdom of God, and it was like 42 things, and so I got it down to three. You're welcome. <laughs> Just a couple of them. It's not an exhaustive list. Number one is this. Many people don't want to surrender their ideologies, so they seek to fit the kingdom of God into what they have already developed. Now, I, I pick on politics a lot, not because politics is a bad thing, but like I always say, it's a horrible master and can be a great servant. And we live in such a politically divided time that what we find so often is people bring the kingdom of God to their politics and then they look to shape the kingdom of God into their politics. It doesn't work that way. No, you are first and foremost a kingdom, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, amen? And we have talked about this a lot over the last few years. We're raising up citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We are not raising up political leaders that are trying to fit the kingdom of God into their right or left-wing views. We do this with all of our life. We have to fight this tendency to bring the kingdom of God because what do you do? We live in a world of over-information and misinformation that can take limited information and we can make it fit our agenda, can't we? We're so skilled at that nowadays that it's just kind of like, you know, I'm going to leave this part out because it doesn't really fit what I want to say, but I'm going to add this part because it absolutely backs up what I already believe. That's why we take the kingdom of God and the word of God from Genesis to Revelation as a whole. That's why we, we grow in our theology. We don't take one instance or one text and build our whole theology around one text, right? That leads people into heresy. It leads you off the track. We take the word of God, the life of Jesus as a whole, we allow it to speak to us. Number two, many people have a difficult time believing that a kingdom built on love and service can truly transfer, transform the world, so they resort to power, control, and political means. This is a, a tough one, isn't it? Now, some of you, if you've been around here the last few months, you can go back to last August where I preached through the book of Revelation. You remember that? You remember that really controversial six weeks where we talked about the way of the lamb versus the way of the beast? the most misunderstood book of the Bible. People want to spend all their time in Revelation talking about end times theology, and it gives us barely a glimpse of that. What it talks about a lot are people who go to politics in the way of the beast over the way of the lamb and Jesus. And we talked about that, the difficulty of that. And I think even the disciples are like, no way that sacrificial love, no way that death can transform the world. The only way we transform our world is by gaining more power. And exerting, uh, exerting that power or control over the people. But how many know power and control does not transform the human heart? It doesn't. Love does. Sacrifice does. Giving your life away does. I think that's why even the disciples and they're struggling to, to reconcile this is because how can sacrifice lead to life? How can giving away and, or, or laying down your life actually lead to something transformative? Number three, many people have so culturally conditioned, have been so culturally conditioned, they refuse to allow the teachings of Jesus to disrupt or dismantle their deeply held beliefs. This is similar to what I was talking about just a minute ago. Instead of coming and saying, everything I now lay at the feet of Jesus, we take parts, the parts that are convenient, the parts that we want to. You may have grown up in a certain culture. Your, your great-grandfather and grandmother and parents and place that you, they may have believed something certain, but do you take those same deeply held beliefs and do you bring them to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, there's nothing that you can't speak into, right? There's nothing that I don't surrender to you. 
What does Jesus say? He says, I I don't come just to testify about truth. I I come to embody truth. That's where he's getting in this text. He said, my my kingdom's not of this world. I came to show you what truth was like. Jesus did not say, I came to give you really great doctrinal statements on theology. There's nothing wrong with doctrinal statements. But that's not what he came. He said, "I, I came to embody. Like, look how I live. Look at the rhythms of my life. What I do, I testify to what is true. What is life? What is life bringing? What is eternal? Look at me, do what I do, live how I live. Let me tell you, this is why the gospel is offensive to so many people. Jesus claiming to be truth, you know what Jesus did when he claimed to be truth? He was in essence saying, what what you're believing is not true. How many know we don't like that? For one thing to be true, you have to let go of the things that are not true, the untruths. And Jesus is doing that, and the Jewish leaders don't like it because they built their whole life on these principles, these ideologies, these understandings of how the world operates. And now Jesus is dismantling them, and we don't like that, do we? So we grab on tighter. We hold on. This is why the Jewish leaders demanded that Jesus die, because he was putting his finger on something that they valued so deeply. This is why the crowds shouted, crucify him, crucify him. This is why we would rather have a murderer Barabbas released than let Jesus live. Because Jesus is now stepping on something that we hold deep. What what is Jesus saying? He's saying, you're going to have to lay down your kingdom in order to live in my kingdom. How many know this is just as relevant 2,000 years later today as it was then? We live in a world of competing kingdoms. Some of you guys remember this. Back in 2019, we went an entire year, a year-long sermon series through the kingdom of God at City Church. Why? Because it's the number one thing Jesus talked about. And it's misunderstood by most people. So we went Genesis to Revelation, and we talked about the kingdom of God and that thread throughout the entire text from Old Testament, New Testament, Genesis to Revelation. Why? Because that's what Jesus came to do. I'm bringing a kingdom that's not of this world. And if you're going to live in my kingdom both now and for eternity, guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to let go of your kingdom. I say this a lot and it's offensive and it steps on toes, but I'm going to say it again. If you don't want to live in God's kingdom now, why would you want to live in God's kingdom for eternity? What is God's kingdom? It's where God rules and reigns. So there's a lot of people that want to live in God's kingdom for eternity, but they don't want to f- live under God's rule and reign now. Well, guess what eternity is going to be? It's where, gonna, where God is going to reign in his fullness. And if you reject it now, you would have rejected it then. What does it look like for us to surrender ourselves at the foot of the cross and say, Father, there's nothing that I have that's not yours. Here's the irony of this text that we're reading is that Barabbas was a revolutionary of violence who murdered others in his rebellion against Rome, but was given pardon and shown mercy by Pilate and the Jewish, Jewish leaders. Jesus was a revolutionary of love, who was falsely accused and executed for teaching the way of life. Barabbas chose the way of violence and was given grace. Jesus chose the way of life and peace and was given death. Continuing in the story that Luke just read to us, Pilate seems to think that Jesus is innocent. You see this in the text, especially the Gospel of John. It's almost like John's like, there's no reason we need to kill this guy. So what does Pilate do? He's like, we're going to have him flogged. We're going to have him beaten. And then, and, and then they put a, a crown of thorns on his head. And most people would say, scholars would be like, it, it was a date palm. And these thorns are like, don't think like thorn, right? These are six to 12 inches long thorns. 
They would fasten and, and put down his head, not far enough in to kill him and go all the way through his skull, but enough to inflict incredible pain. Mocking him as a king. What else did they do? They find this purple robe. Purple was the color of royalty, and it may have been a rug. It may have been just something lying around. And what do the soldiers do? They throw it on his back, and, and Pilate ushers Jesus out after he's been beaten. And he, he says, here's your king. Look how pitiful this man is. Look at him. He's pitiful. This is enough. Right? Let, let's let him go. Look at him. He's not a threat to anybody. Right? That's, that's really what Pilate is saying. He's pitiful, he's harmless. Again, we get the deep irony of the moment. We got it there with Jesus and Barabbas and the other deep irony of this moment is here is the word in the flesh, God incarnate standing before his, displaying all of his glory even in his pain, weakness, and the brutality of the moment. Pilate sees it as pitiful, but it's the epitome of love and power. I wanna wanna end this way. I wanna show us this this morning because I think at the cross, what Jesus is doing, he's radically redefining our understanding of power. And we need to know this as followers of Jesus, because if your citizenship is in heaven and not of this world, we don't seek power like the world seeks power. We don't go after power according to the ways of the world. We don't look to control or to use force. What Jesus is saying is if you want power, you're going to serve and give. Power is laying down your life. Power is willing to relinquish control. And trust God. It's the way of sacrifice, which is in such stark contradiction to the way of the world, isn't it? Everybody's trying to get ahead and everybody wants to be on top because if I'm on top, then I can rule over you and I can control you and tell you what to do. And Jesus says, that's not the transformative way of love and power. On the cross, Jesus radically changing our understanding of power. Pilate saying, look at your king. Let's let him go. He's pitiful. We've done enough. And what do they say? Crucify him. Crucify him. Again, in this story, nobody ever believes they would be in the crowd saying crucify him. We don't put ourselves in that part of the story. But can I I just tell you this this morning? You know how easy it would have been to kind of get caught up in the mob? How easy it sometimes to kind of get caught up in the political fray? Especially when somebody's saying something that doesn't align with what you want. No, I mean, I like this Jesus guy. I really like some of his teachings. But I don't want a kingdom not of this world. I want a kingdom here. I want someone who's going to take Rome down and sit on a throne. So you know what? It may just be easier to crucify him and get rid of him. See, in the story, we always think the people that were shouting crucify him, they've got to be just the worst people on the planet, don't they? But really, it's easy to fall into that. This is an uncomfortable message, isn't it? <laughs> I know. Lent messages are uncomfortable. How do you stand in the shadow of the cross and be comfortable? We never think that we're that person in the story, and yet how easy it is to kind of jump into the fray, especially when anybody challenges our understanding of the kingdom. But I truly believe that when we hold on to our own kingdoms, we are in essence shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. So the question becomes this in this text, will we lay down our kingdoms? Will we come to the cross, um, man, open palms, empty-handed, 
Father, there's nothing in me, there's nothing that I believe, there's nothing that I'm holding on to that is not submitted to you. This is what the cross does to us. If the cross doesn't create more humility in you, something's wrong. If the cross doesn't break us and bring us to our knees, something's wrong. The cross should should never produce more pride in us because we realize our brokenness, we realize the weight of our sin, we realize how separated we were, and we go to the cross and understand what Jesus has done for you and I, amen? Lay our kingdoms down this morning. The other thing the cross does this as we're closing and wrapping this up, it also realizes the brokenness that Jesus went through. Like the times in your life where you said, I would have never chosen this path. Why am I walking through this pain? Anybody ever been there? You're like, yeah, this morning. Why? This is hard. This is difficult. I want out of this. You know what the cross says to us? Jesus can look to you because of the cross and say, I know exactly how you feel. Right? I know exactly what you're going through. Man, it, it, a couple weeks ago in the garden, you remember that story? The garden of Gethsemane? Man, if there's any other way, I want that way. I want to read this to you this morning as we wrap up our time. Peter Kreft. He says, Christ entered space and time and suffering. He didn't choose another way, but he gave himself. He entered our tears, our waiting, our darkness, our agonized aloneness with his presence. He sits beside us in the lowest places of our lives. Are we rejected? The people despise us and misunderstand us and accuse us. Do we weep? Is our love betrayed? Do we often feel as though life has passed us by or cast us out or that we're sinking into nothingness? Jesus sinks with us. He too has been passed over by the world. He sits beside us not only in our suffering, but even in our sins. He does not turn his face from us, however much we turn our face from him. Love is why he came. It's all love. Amen. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? Should you just close your eyes where you're at? Let's take a moment. As I was preparing this message this week, um, I always write a conclusion to the end of my message. But then, man, this morning as I was walking these seats praying, I just felt really specific that I was supposed to change it. And uh, man, with just every head bowed and I closed for a moment. I think it's a moment where Jesus at the foot of the cross invites us to bring our brokenness and our suffering. Because Jesus is never more relatable to us than at the cross. What we just read. And do you feel this pain? Well, Jesus felt this pain. You feel rejected, disappointed, accused, offended, hurt. Jesus felt all of those. And yet he invites us to bring our brokenness to him. And I just want to pray for a group of people. And you may be at home. You may be driving throughout the week, listening to this later. You can respond to this. 
Maybe you're in the room right now with no one else looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're just like, Pastor, I'm walking through a time of brokenness and I need to meet Jesus at the cross. Would you just raise your hand? Yeah. Yeah, you can put it down. We don't always do this. But I'm going to invite this group of people, if that's you in the room this morning and you just want to lay that at the foot of the cross, I just want you to come down here up front with me and I just want to pray over you. So if that's you, I want you to step out of your seat. Just come right up here. And maybe what you do this morning, just put your hands out with your palms open. If you're in this room, would you begin to pray for these people? Jesus becomes so tangible at the cross. And let me remind you this morning, Jesus weeps with you. Jesus hurts with you. He is not distant. He's not standing back. No, he says, I was rejected by men. I was hurt by those closest to me. I walked a path I would rather not walk. I know the suffering. I know the pain. And I set in in it with you. Father, we just give this to you this morning. I pray for these individuals right now that are just lifting up their burdens and their brokenness before you. God, we confess we cannot control it. God, we can't manage it. We wish it wasn't here, Father, but we give it to you. God, let this be a place of surrender, Father. Let it be a deep place of surrender, just giving you the pain, the brokenness, the disappointment, knowing that you are in control, God, that you're good. And I just pray for every person that's here, every person listening to this out this week, someone driving in their car, someone just listening to this while they're working out this week, just saying, man, that's, that's me. God, we just give it to you. And we thank you that you could have chosen a way out, you could have picked another road, and you didn't. You could have stood up and in your divinity demanded all your rights as God, but you didn't. You didn't for us. So God, I just pray this morning that even some people, that you would give them courage and the tenacity just not to let go of the rope. God, sometimes faith is just not letting go and just holding on until we experience a breakthrough, Father. I just speak that life over them right now, God. I bless them, Father. God, we give our brokenness. We surrender it to you, Father. We ask that you would use it, God, that you would use it to draw us closer to the heart of Jesus. God, we would rather not be going through it, but God, we willingly endure the cross for you. God, you are our prize. You are our reward. And I speak that over every person here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 As you guys begin to make your way back, if you just want to grab your communion elements, and we're going to begin to prepare. Lent is such a beautiful time of repentance and surrender. 
we do that this morning. And the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he passed it around. As I think about the story, as we do this every week, I just think about how in that moment, the disciples didn't even know really what they were doing. They didn't understand the magnitude of it, but they would one day. He said, this is my body broken for you. Ripped apart for you. Beaten for you. Going in your place. Let's take the body of Christ this morning. Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my shed blood. It's going to be poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins, to pay a price that you couldn't pay, to pay a debt on your life, to restore and redeem what's been broken. Man, let's take it the cup this morning. As we end every service here at City Church, would you take these next few seconds and just tell Jesus, thank you. Can we practice gratitude? Thankfulness. No matter what you're going through this morning, you should rejoice that you have been given life through the work of Jesus. That death does not have the final say. That brokenness is not our destiny. That pain is not the end. And God, we just thank you that you are restoring and renewing. God, I pray for every person right now and the sound of my voice as we walk through this journey of Lent. God, would you rip from our lives anything that is not of you? Fill us with your spirit, overflow in our hearts, Father. Use the pain and the brokenness in our lives to lead us to you. As we fast, as we give this time of prayer, as we, as we prepare our hearts for a good Friday and for Easter, Father, would you do a deep, deep work in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. And thanks for worshiping with us this morning. A couple things before we end. I'm going to invite the prayer team up. Be up here. When we dismiss in a few minutes, if there's anything that you need prayer with, uh, please stop and just uh, grab someone. Let, let them agree with you. Maybe you're praying for somebody else. We just want to partner with you this morning. Dinner uh, with the staff tomorrow night. And if you've never been there, I'd love to meet you. This is our way of kind of becoming family, to get to know you, your story. We'd love to, to have that. Uh, first time guests, my wife Lindsay and I will be just across the lobby in the, in the uh, welcome room. Stop by 30 seconds, see us. We've got a free gift for you and just want to say hello to you. Uh, let's end with our mission statement. Go live it out this week, wherever you are. Be the gospel.